And we have come in the Lenten season to the last Sunday before Easter. We've been preparing our hearts for six weeks, talking about the last week of the life of Christ before he was crucified and the events that happened that brings us up to today. Our text today is Luke chapter number 23. Our text will be Luke chapter number 23. It was in the 1940s after the war that my mom and dad were married. And Billy Graham held a long series of meetings in Madison Square Garden in New York City. My mother went to one of those meetings and there she asked Jesus to be in her heart at the Billy Graham crusade. My father didn't go to the crusade, he was home milking cows. But he said when she came home she was different. And he said he didn't know why, but she was definitely different. And I suppose that got him thinking. It was in a little town nearby called Cornwall Bridge that there was a church. And the pastor of that church donated the old Bible that had been in the front for years and the stand to my Uncle Ed. And when we opened this church, Uncle Ed gave it to me, and that's the one that sits over in the corner here. That's from the little church in Cornwall Bridge. And one day, my father was driving by that little church, and he decided to stop and go into the church and pray. And he sat down in the pew with a searching frame of mind, and he was closing his eyes. And then he said he looked up to the front of the church, and there was a cross hanging on the wall, and he said he saw a dark cloud hanging over that cross. And so he bowed his head and he prayed to God, and he said, when I looked up again, the dark cloud was gone, and he saw the cross clearly. And that was the day he gave his heart to Jesus. I never question those types of stories. God has ways of breaking through to people. And God can do anything he wants to do, especially if it makes people see the cross more clearly. As we've been studying we've, what happened to Jesus in Passion Week, we've come to that Friday called Good. When I was talking to the little kids yesterday, they said to me, why is it called Good? Good question, I said. That's a good question. The day that Jesus was crucified, and we traced his steps in this Lenten season, the triumphant entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, his conflict with the temple leadership, his sighting of the widow with two mites, his preparation for the Last Supper on Thursday night, his struggle in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the abuse he experienced during his trials. And we have commented on the struggle in Gethsemane with some very serious words and focused on the abuse of Jesus and the behavior of his captors with more dark words. And I admit those stories are almost depressing. And now we come to the crucifixion of Jesus and we're apt to think that this will be the most depressing of all. And we brace ourselves as we approach the topic. But strangely enough, that is not what we find. 
in the pages of our wonderful hymn book, and the churches that have abandoned these have made a mistake. Let me assure you. In the pages of our wonderful hymn book, we find a very different story. As each hymn writer expresses their thoughts and their experiences, we find something amazing, unexpected, quite different from what we imagined. And please listen with me, if you will, to the words of the song. Jesus, keep me near the cross. Turn. And now, somewhere around 3 o'clock in the wee hours of the morning, Judas Iscariot has come, leading a band of religious leaders and temple police to arrest Jesus and take him into custody. In the fourth gospel, John tells us that as they arrived, Jesus stepped out of the shadows and asked, Who are you looking for? And they replied, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered in two words. He said, I am. And immediately the whole crowd fell over backwards. The words I am was the name of God that was given to Moses at the burning bush when God said, tell Israel, I am sent you. And in Gethsemane, when Jesus replied, I am, the whole crowd fell over backwards. And so from that, you and I learned something. We know that Jesus went with them willingly. He was much more powerful than they were. But he chose to go with an explanation about what was happening. We begin in Luke 22, in verse number 52. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and the captains of the temple and the elders which were come to him, Be ye come out as against a thief with thorns and staves. When I was daily with you in the temple, you stretched forth no hand against me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. So it was Jesus explained that for a short time that it is their hour, the power of evil would prevail. And the prince of darkness would show his violent, murderous nature in the next couple of hours. We will witness human behavior at its contemptible lowest and most twisted and evil display of full-scale rebellion against God. Now there will be three trials on that morning. Three different judges are asked to pass sentence on Jesus. One was Caiaphas, the high priest. One, Herod, the king of Galilee. And one, Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. But Luke will add to the record, not just the trials, but in each case, the treatment of Jesus not by the various judges, but by the people who are servants to each court and its judge. For in each case, there is what I would call abuse 
of Jesus by inferiors. But I would say the word abuse doesn't quite cover what happens. Another word comes to mind, torture, which may be a little strong. So something between abuse and torture we see perpetrated against Jesus in this short time when, as he has explained, darkness and evil prevail. The first destination for Jesus after he was arrested was the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. The Jewish leaders would gather and do what could only be called a mock trial of Jesus. There's no attempt made for justice. Little more than a month before this, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, and Caiaphas had stated publicly on that day the only way to keep the power we have is to kill Jesus of Nazareth. And he's the judge. And so the Jewish leaders hated Jesus. Why? Because he was popular with the people. Why? Because he overthrew the money changers' tables. Why? Because he healed on the Sabbath. Why? Because he outwitted their lawyers. Why? Because he rode into Jerusalem amidst a cheering crowd. They hated him with a passion. So Luke tells us what the men did who were standing guard over Jesus. Chapter 22, verse number 63. And the men that held Jesus mocked him and smote him. And when they had blindfolded him, they struck him on the face. And asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is it that smote thee? And many other things, blasphemously, they spake they against him. So here is hatred on display. They blindfold him, and they slap his face, and they sucker punch him, and they pull out his beard, and they say, Prophesy, Son of God. Show us your God-like powers. Prophesy now and tell us who it was that hit you. These are people who hate Jesus. Jesus had called them blind leaders of the blind. They had a blind hatred for Jesus that they got from their leaders. If you ask them, why do you punch him and why do you slap him? Why do you abuse him? Their answer would be because he claims to be God. And all he really is is a Galilean carpenter. He comes from a worthless town called Nazareth. He's an uneducated peasant. He never sat under any rabbi. So we hate him. Now, let's stop for a minute and examine that logic. Okay, so you think he's not the Son of God. Maybe he's just deluded. A person with some crazy idea. Maybe he's unstable. Maybe he's a lunatic. 
And maybe he's to be pitied because of that. No. No pity from us. No, we hate him. So let's go a step further in the logic. Okay. Maybe you think he's a fraud. Maybe he's trying to deceive. Maybe he's a liar. If he's a liar, why don't you just ignore him? Don't give credence to his claims. Why do you hate him with such a passion? My friends, why do people hate Jesus? And why do these men slap and punch and beat on him because he claims to be the Son of God? question is, what if he really is the Son of God? If he really is God's Son, then they're wrong, and they're going to have to admit they are wrong. Jesus exactly explains their predicament in his answer in verse number 67. And they said unto him, Art thou the Christ? Tell us. And he said unto them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I also ask you, you will not answer me, nor let me go. Jesus says, If I explain who I am, you refuse to believe me. So let me ask you some questions. Let's think about this logically. No, you refuse to answer my question. Your blind hatred refuses to answer the simplest questions. Why do men hate Jesus? Because somewhere down deep inside, buried under their hatred, is a fear. If Jesus is who he claims to be, the Son of God, and I'm wrong, and I'm in serious trouble. So I hate him. Because he challenges my beliefs. And so they beat him and they slap him and they punch him and they abuse him and rebel against his claims. And that's the first type of human behavior we observe in that early morning trial. Next, the Jews must take Jesus to Pilate. The Romans took away the Jews' right to capital punishment. Only Pilate, the Roman governor, can have Jesus put to death. And so they go to Pilate and they ask for the death penalty. And Pilate asks, what's the charge? And they say, if he wasn't guilty, we wouldn't have brought him. Pilate says, no charge, no death penalty. So they say, well, he claims to be a king, and he preached that all over Galilee. Pilate, trying to avoid the issue, says if he's Galilean, send him to Herod, the king of Galilee, who happens to be in town for Passover. You see, my friends, watch what happens now, chapter 23 and verse number 8. When Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him of a long season, because he had heard many things of him, and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. And he questioned with him in many words, but he answered him nothing. 
The chief priests and scribes stood vehemently accused him. And Herod with his men of war set him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him again to Pilate. Pilate had asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, yes. So he sends Jesus to Herod's court to be tried there. With the information, he claims to be king of the Jews. But Jesus refuses even to speak to Herod. So Herod and his soldiers put a white robe on Jesus, very fancy and very bright. It's the robe that candidates for office will wear. And they mock Jesus and they belittle him. Look, look who's running for office. Look who wants to be king. And they make fun of Jesus. And they give him a reed in his hand. Say, there's your royal scepter. Can you imagine, they say, that this man could ever be the king of the Jews? Who was Herod? Well, Herod was a man who stole his brother's wife because he liked to do whatever he felt like doing. And when John the Baptist accused Herod of adultery, he threw John the Baptist in prison. And we read a little while later, a girl danced a fancy dance for Herod. And he said, I love your dance. How can I pay you for dancing so nicely? And she said, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. And Herod murdered John the Baptist for a dance. This is a trivial man. A man who has no morals, he does what feels good, whatever he feels like, steals his brother's wife, murders John the Baptist for a dance, and now he mocks Jesus and makes fun of him and scorns the whole idea that Jesus could ever be a king. I'm a king, he says, but you never. You're just a candidate for office. Here's an example of how people who never take anything seriously, God is not to be taken seriously. A stolen wife and a fancy dance are more important than God to the trivial person who doesn't take God seriously. Jesus has nothing to say. So we've seen people who hate Jesus. We've seen people who don't take Jesus seriously. Now another type of person, person entirely dominated by other people's opinion. Chapter 23, verse number 16. I'm sorry, verse 13. And Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people, said unto them, You have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I have examined him before you and have found no fault in this man touching those things whereof you accuse him. Nor, no, nor yet Herod, for I sent you to him. Lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. In verse 21, And they cried, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. 
And he said to them the third time, Why? What evil has he done? I find no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. Now my question for Pilate is this. If he's innocent, if you find no fault in Jesus, then why do you chastise him? Why do you tie him to a post and whip him with a cat of nine tails, which is a leather strap with nails attached to the ends? If he's innocent, why do you whip him? Pilate is entirely controlled by the opinions of others. Caesar Tiberius sent Pontius Pilate to be the governor over the Jewish people with orders to maintain control and keep the peace. And so the unruly Jewish people are hard to control. Pilate will use violence if necessary to keep the peace. Pilate had some troublemakers murdered right in the temple and mixed their blood with the blood of their sacrifices. He kept the peace for Caesar, even if it meant murder. And these unruly Jews are here to demand that Jesus be crucified, and Pilate says, he's innocent, but I'll whip him in order to appease the Jews. But the Jews won't be appeased by a whipping. Verse 23. They were instant with loud voices requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. And Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required. When the Jews started screaming out, crucify him, crucify him, it looked like it would turn into a riot. So Pilate thought, give them what they want. Just another dead Jew. So Pilate turns Jesus over to the Roman soldiers and they tie him to a post, and they whip him. Now, my friends, let's look at him. His eyes are swollen from the slaps that he received. His face is all bruised from being punched. His beard has been pulled out, torn out, and bloody. And his back, from the cat of nine tails, is hanging in strips of flesh, all covered in blood. He has been so abused and tortured that the Bible says you could barely recognize him. So, let me put it to you this way. What if that was you? What would you be feeling as your face is all disfigured and your body throbs in pain from the vicious whip? And they've laughed at you and mocked you and scorned you and abused you and, yes, and tortured you. How would you feel? Angry? Bitter? Full of revenge? Have the feelings of injustice triggered in your mind? And you want to see that punishment is given 
and justice is served. Isn't that what you or I might feel? My friends, in the pain and the shame of those hours of abuse, in the mocking scorn, in the vicious torture poured out in hatred on Jesus, how does he feel? Is he bitter? Is he angry? Does he want to punish these evil men? Oh no, my friends. He looks out from his swollen eyes and his bruised face and he feels the throbbing pain of the whipping. And his heart can only love. There's no anger. There's no bitterness. His heart can only love. No feeling of revenge. No adrenaline rush for justice. His heart can only love. And Jesus Himself would explain it for God so loved the world. And He gave His only begotten Son. Whosoever believeth on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. To those who hated him, he pleads, believe what I say, or at least answer my question. The old song, the old ancient song, has it very well. Ah, holy Jesus, how hast thou offended that man to judge thee hath and hate pretended by foes derided by thine own rejected O most afflicted the Bible explains that those who blindfolded him and beat him their behavior with these words they hated me without a cause and what of Herod and his soldiers people who simply don't take Jesus claims seriously Jesus remains silent and won't answer what is more serious than God himself what topic has more gravity than life and death heaven and hell, forgiveness and judgment. Believe me, my friends, there comes a day when those who have made life trivial will come face to face with death and suddenly realize just how important these things are. My friends, the abuse of Jesus during what was supposed to be trials shows that no one ever intended there to be any justice. Jesus was right. It was the hour of darkness and the power of evil when humans put God on trial and human behavior sunk as low as it could go. And so hatred and scorn, they declared that he was guilty of death 
death on the cross. And listen to one of the last exchanges between Pilate and the Jewish leaders. And they cried, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he them therefore to them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. We have no king but Caesar. Chilling last word. May it not be so with us. Let us declare loudly and with assurance, Jesus is our King. Jesus is our Lord. Jesus is our Master. And we love Him because He first loved us. And He looked out on that face and His heart could only love. And He looked at us and loved us. Next week, Jesus is crucified. Shall we pray, dear Heavenly Father, we come to you, we grasp what you've said and we believe it. We know that we need to listen to what you say and answer your question. We want to do that. We want to know all about you. We want to know who you are. We want to know you're real. We want to claim you as our one and only Lord and Master. We bow before you as you come to this time and you suffer for us on our behalf. And we thank you that there wasn't any revenge. might have been bad for us. But it was only love. We thank you for that. And we bow before you. And we know that the question will always come, what will you do with Jesus? Help us, we pray. To answer it well. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. amen. In closing, like you turn your hymn books, if you will. Hymn number 566. 566, standing as we sing. The old hymn, What Will You Do With Jesus? 566. Page 566. Jesus is standing in Pilate's hall, friendless, forsaken, betrayed. 